0: Well, good evening, friends. It is a pleasure for me to be with you this evening. Thank you for the words of welcome. Um, I have been in the church before. I've never preached in the church before, but I've been here numerous times for for meetings and in uh, a previous, what feels like a previous life. Um, I actually sang as part of a group in the church before. Um, they were the good singers, and they just I just bluffed along and followed. And don't we really fluted? I think is that the the right terminology for it, but. No, it's lovely to be with you this evening. Um, as, as you already maybe know, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, so um, my name's Rodney Rankin, for anybody who's missed it. Um, I live just outside Ramara. Um I attend Ballykeel Baptist Church, have been worshipping there for 20-odd years. Um, husband of one wife, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, her name is Emma. She's a secondary school teacher. Uh, we have been blessed with three kids, uh, Noah, Hannah, and Abby who are 12, 10, and 8, respectively. So I have the pleasure of serving as a deacon in, in the church there in Ballykeel, and uh, that's a real privilege. And have was a youth leader for many, many years before I got too old and too tired and probably too grumpy, what the young people would tell you. But no, um, it's a pleasure to be with you. This evening I was saved at the age of 11, as a young person after a youth meeting in the church I attended at that time. And God has been gracious to me through those many years. Years where I have let him down more often than I care to admit. But he's always faithful. And I'm sure many of us in the meeting tonight can testify to God's faithfulness. And my prayer for you this evening is if you don't know that God is your own faithful friend, that even through what is said tonight, that God would speak to you the Holy Spirit would be at work in your heart and you would come to know him because there is no better friend in this world. We're going to turn this evening to the book of John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. We're going to read the first 19 verses in the Gospel of John this evening. So John chapter 21. And this is God's word. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he saith unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast thereof, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and they cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid their own and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, "Bring of the fish which ye have now caught." And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was the net not broken. And Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples. After that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jodah, Lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. And he saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him again, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? This he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. This is God's word. We know that He'll bless the reading of it. We're just going to pray together just before we, we come into God's word. Father, we thank you for this another opportunity to read your word together, to study your word together, to learn from your word. Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would presence himself with us right now, and that personal ministry that only the Holy Spirit can undertake would be at work in this place. Lord, that each person, each individual lives, individual circumstances, and individual needs, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would minister into hearts and lives uh, this evening. We pray that all that's said and done will be to your honor, to your glory. Strip away anything of self. May only Jesus be seen, and Jesus only in your name we pray. Amen. So just to give you a bit of background as to what's going on in this passage that we've, we've broken into here in John. So as you've maybe already seen through the passage, this is the, the time period between Jesus' death on the cross and when he was going to ascend into heaven to reign forevermore. So he has appeared to the disciples already in the room. The disciples have been hiding away uh, for fear of the Jews. The Jews are on the rampage um, they've obviously felt like they've won a victory, that, that Jesus was crucified on the cross. But now they're hearing these rumours and stories that Jesus has appeared to men and women. And they're fearful. The disciples are fearful for their lives. And then Jesus appears in the midst of them. And if you remember, Thomas was missing at this time. And we have that story where Thomas says, I will not believe that Christ is risen again unless I see him for myself. And I put my hands into the nail prints of his hands and my hand into the side. Of his wounds in his side. Up to this point, Jesus hasn't spent an awful lot of time with the disciples. There's been fleeting visits, as we, as we maybe talk about here in this part of the world. But here we see a story, and uh, we see the disciples, and they're a bit in limbo. I don't know whether you've ever had that feeling of not really being certain as to what the future holds. Maybe you've been waiting on medical results, test results, you've been waiting on examination results. Maybe you've been waiting on a member of the family who's been ill. And that, that period of time where you're sort of in between, you don't really know what's coming next, what, what the future holds, can be really unsettling, can't it? And that's where the disciples find themselves. It's unsettling, it's unnerving. And, and even though they've seen Jesus and they know that he's risen again, they still don't know where, where, where is our place here, what, what does this look like for us? And that's the situation that we find ourselves in. As we work our way through the passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see reluctant fishermen. We're going to see a revealed saviour and we're going to see a restoration experienced. So please keep your Bible open. We're just going to work our way down through the passage uh, very quickly and we're just going to pull out these things as, as we walk our way through it. So first of all, reluctant fishermen. So put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You've been at Jesus' feet for the last three years, experiencing that amazing ministry. And then you come to this point in your life and you're confused. Jesus has gone. Whilst he may have reappeared again, you're not quite uh, sure what's going on. You're struggling to see your purpose. Supposed to use a fishing analogy, you're a bit like a rudderless ship. It feels like their world is sort of caving in around them. They're feeling lonely and isolated. And in this situation we find the disciples, at the, say says the Sea of Tiberias, we may know it better as the Sea of Galilee. That's where they find themselves. And what does Peter do? So look at verse 3. So Simon Peter saith to them, I go a-fishing. Now if we know anything about Peter, any of you who know the Bible, you know that Peter is an impulsive person. I think that's fair to say. This is the same guy who, when he was on the, the mount and he experienced the transfiguration with Moses and Elijah and Jesus, his first response was, I'll build tents and you can stay here. This is the guy who, when they were in the garden and the soldiers came to capture Jesus, he was the one who drew his sword quickly and cut off the ear of the Centurion guard. This is also Peter who, when Christ was telling the disciples what must happen, that he must be crucified. Peter was the one who rebuked him and said, no, that's not going to happen to you. And this is also Peter who, when Jesus told him that he was going to deny him, he flat out denied it and said, that will never happen. Peter was impulsive. And here we see Peter, impulsive and patient again. So not willing to wait, unsure. And and don't forget, Peter's coming here from the background where he has denied Christ three times. He's feeling that sense of shame and regret and remorse. So what does he do? He goes back to default, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to go fishing. It's interesting to note, whenever you go through the Bible and you see the list of disciples' names, you can do it yourself as you walk through the New Testament. When you see the disciples' names listed, Peter is always the one that's listed first. And why is that? Well, the reason is that because Peter was seen as the leader in the group. He was seen as the leader, and that's born out here, isn't it? Whenever we go into verse 3, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. What do the other six disciples who are with him? What do they say? We'll go too. We will also go with thee. They follow along. They follow the leader, follow Peter. So we go along. These men who are fishermen decide, you know what? Let's go back to do what we know best. Let's go and fish. And these guys do know what they're doing because when it comes to the end of verse 3, then it says, they entered into a ship immediately and that night, they caught nothing. They knew that the best time to go fishing on the Sea of Galilee was to go at night. That was the best time. That was the time when they were going to catch the biggest haul. So they go out at nighttime, they fish all night long, and they catch nothing. Now, can you imagine what these disciples must have been feeling like now? They thought, I really don't know what we're going to do here. Let's go and do what we know best. Let's go and fish. And they fish all night long, and they catch nothing. They must have been on the floor, at their lowest point, at their lowest point. And quite often in life, when we find ourselves at our lowest point, what happens? What happens next? Well, next we have a revealed Savior. Verse 4. As morning breaks, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. They've been out all night, and then Jesus appears. Just when it seemed all hope was lost, there he was. I'm sure you know that old hymn that came to mind as I was preparing for this. It's always darkest before the dawn. Don't be discouraged. Just carry on. He'll not forsake you. The sun will break through. It's always darkest before the dawn. And that's the experience of the disciples here, as they're fishing. It's interesting when you see the disciples. You could see this man standing on the shore, but they didn't. It says in the in the passage here, they knew not that it was Jesus. At the end of verse four, they didn't know it was Jesus. This new man was standing there, but they didn't know it was him. You know, Christian brother or sister, I don't know many of you in the meeting tonight, but I'm sure many of you are experiencing difficulties and challenges and. Trials that maybe few or maybe nobody knows anything about. Maybe for you, life's difficult. It's tough. And maybe for you, you can't see Jesus in it at this time. You know what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39? It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You may not be able to see him, but I can tell you right now, Jesus is there. He's standing on the shore. He's with you. No matter what you're journeying through, what you're traveling through, he's there. He's there. What happens next? Verse 5 and 6, well, that familiar word, I'm sure it was very familiar to the disciples. Children, could only have been Jesus called them that, couldn't it? Could only have been Jesus called them that. Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast it off, and they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Now, these fishermen have been fishing all night long. I am sure they have fished every part of this sea that they possibly can. And then this man comes along and he says, throw your fish on the other side of the boat. It's interesting that they don't dispute or they don't argue with them. They do it straight away. There was something that they recognized in this voice. They obeyed. And what happened? Then there was a haul of fish that they couldn't bring on board. What was it made the difference? What made the difference? Was it that it was just a better time of day for fishing? Was it that dawn was the best time? It wasn't to fish through the night? No. No. The thing that made the difference was Jesus. It was Jesus made the difference. He was the only differential here. It was Jesus. It was his words he proclaimed. And friend, that is an analogy for your life. And for my life, you know, we can work all day long. We can work all night long. We can do everything that we want to do. We can do all that we feel that is our of our very best for as long as life lasts. But without Jesus, it's empty and it's worthless. It's empty and it's worthless. But with Jesus then it's an abundance. It's an abundant life. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, that I am come that you might have life and then you might have it, what? Just a little bit? Just average? A good life? No. That you might have it more abundantly. Abundant life. If you're looking for a fulfilling life, if you're a young person in this meeting tonight and you want a life that is full of excitement and full of joy and full of great experiences, stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus because he is the one that promises us abundant life. And you know what? He cannot break his promises. It's impossible. He cannot break them. In verse 7, and eventually the disciples realize who this is that's standing on the shore. It's not just some random man. It is Jesus. And it's John, it says, the disciple whom Jesus loves, that's John, that is the author of the book. And he said unto Peter, it is the Lord. What happens then? What does Peter do? Does he sort of sit tight and, and wait, see what happens next? No. What does he do? He girds Fisher's coat, for he was naked. That actually means that he was stripped for work. He wasn't fully naked. He was just stripped for work. He was ready for work. And he jumps into the sea and off he goes to Jesus. Fish aren't really that important to him anymore, are they? He doesn't care. There's a massive haul of fish, but he's not bothered. He just wants Jesus. Because when we see Jesus for who he really is, then all the riches and all the wonders of this world pale into insignificance. Because they're nothing in comparison to him. Absolutely Nothing. The desire was just to be with Jesus. What's your desire? When you examine your heart closely before a holy and just God, what is the desire of your heart? What is it? Is it a good job? Is it riches? Is it family? Is it a husband or wife? Is it security? Is it reputation? What is the desire of your heart? What is it? Peter's desire was to be with Jesus. In verse 10 of the passage then, it takes us on down here and, and Jesus calls to them and we read that Peter is gone ahead, but the other disciples bring the fish in. They haul the fish in. It tells us there was a massive haul of fish and Jesus said unto them, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. I love this little verse. It seems so insignificant and we could just brush over it, just read it as if it's not even there. But think about this, right? So what has happened? We've really thought about this. What has happened? The disciples have caught this haul of fish, but it's only because of Jesus that they've caught the haul of fish. They've done absolutely nothing. We've already established they've worked all night, they've fished all night, and they've got nothing. Nothing. it was Jesus made the difference. It was Jesus gave them the haul of fish. It was Jesus blessed them. But how does Jesus term it? He says, bring me the fish which ye, bring me the fish which you have caught. What What an encouragement. This just amazes me. they fished all night. Jesus asks them to bring their fish to him. He doesn't need them. He doesn't need them. We can already see from this as well. It says, verse 9, just step up a little bit. Verse 9, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. What was on the, what was on the fire? What is it? And fish laid their own on bread. Before Jesus has even asked for them to bring their fish in, he's already got the fish and the bread prepared. He doesn't need their fish. But he wants them to bring their fish to him. Friends, Jesus doesn't need us to achieve his work, his plans, his purposes. But he chooses to use weak vessels like you and like me to achieve his purposes. There's nothing in us that he should choose to use us, but he he does. Why? Because he loves us. He wants what is best for us. (coughs) And he wants to use us to achieve his eternal plans for all eternity. He chooses to use us, and he wants to point out here the blessing. When you go into verse eleven, the two things, the two purposes he wants to point out. He wants to point out the abundance of his blessing. So it wasn't just a few fish they caught; the caught. It, it says one hundred and fifty-three great fish. They weren't little toddler fish that you would throw back into the river again. These were great fish. They were big fish. He wants to show the abundance of his blessing. The blessing was poured out when the disciples followed Jesus' commands. And that's the same for us. The blessing is poured out when we, as individuals, follow the commands of Jesus. And for you that is unsaved in the meeting tonight that starts from the very beginning of you bending your knee admitting you're a sinner coming before a holy and just and righteous God and asking him to forgive you for your sins and then we step into that process of sanctification where we become more and more like Jesus and that's then for those of us that are believers where we start to strip away everything that's of ourselves because whenever we get saved we're not the finished article are we? We're not perfect, far from it. God has a work to do in us. As he continues to work and change us and mold us and shape us into the people he wants us to be, then our responsibility then is to follow his commands and become more and more like him. The best blueprint for all of our lives is that we follow the commands of Jesus because it's then that he shows us the blessing. And then the second thing is, he wants to prove his sufficiency. So, how does he prove his sufficiency? Well, it tells us in the passage here that the net should have been broken because there were so many fish, but the net wasn't broken. Why? Because Jesus, because God was in control. He was in control, he was holding it all together, he was making sure everything fitted together, and he made sure that it was all sufficient. You see, whenever we do God's work, we don't do it in our own strength. And friends, you're, you're holding a, a children's mission, a children's Bible club this week. You don't do that in your own strength, because otherwise it's going to be a failure. But God has told us that he will supply our every need. It was Hudson Taylor who put it really well. Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary to China, he said this. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. We'll never lack God's supply. It's always sufficient. It always gives us exactly what we need at exactly the right time. So we've seen reluctant fishermen. We've seen a revealed saviour. Now we're going to see the restoration that's experienced. So Jesus then turns his attention from the group and he moves specifically to Peter. <clears throat> so remember back in John 18 Peter's denied Jesus three times. The rooster has crowed. And then, as Peter is standing around that charcoal fire, he hears that rooster crowing. And where does Jesus have him now? He has him back around the charcoal fire, doesn't he? So can you imagine what memories are coming back into Peter's mind as he sits down? And he asks him the three questions. He says, do you love me more than these? In verse 15, do you love me more than these? Now, that these is most likely referring to the other disciples. He's reminding Peter of the statement that he made back in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33, where he stated that he would be loyal to Christ even when others were not. He was reminding him of that statement that he made. And in Jesus' answer, we see Peter's uh, uncertainty and unsure on his uncertainty around what direction his life was to take. What does he say? Verse 15, he says, feed my lambs. Here, Christ is referring to his church, those lambs being those people who are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, like infants just starting out on their journey with the Lord Jesus. And then he goes on and he says again, Simon, lovest thou me? And a second answer he says then, Feed my sheep. And the sheep here refers to people who are in the church, who are older and wiser and more mature in their faith. These are people like the other disciples who were looking to Peter as a leader within the group. We've already established that. So Peter has a responsibility to these men to teach them, to show them the word of God and to build them up in their faith. We know from Peter's writings and his letters that this is something that he did take seriously and he took upon his heart. One example is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. When he's writing to his fellow elders, he calls on them to feed or to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is something that really characterized Peter's ministry from this point onwards. Feeding the sheep, feeding the flock of God. And then at the third time of asking, Peter, lovest thou me? Peter's answer changes a little bit, doesn't it? He starts to get a little bit tetchy. And he says this, he says, Lord, thou knowest all things. First of all, he acknowledges that Jesus is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator God. Knows everything. Knows all about you, knows all about me, knows all about Peter. He says, you know that I love thee. And it's at this point that Peter's restoration is complete. He's answered the question three times. He acknowledges that God is sovereign, that God's in control, that he knows all things. He knows everything, the tiniest, minutest detail about Peter's heart. And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. But it's interesting to note Back in John chapter 20, Peter was with the other disciples when Jesus entered the room. And he breathes the Holy Spirit into them. You step back, you can look at it later on when you go home. And he tells them to go out and spread the message of peace to the whole world. Peter was in the room when he received the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter, despite his failure, despite the fact that he denied Jesus, he hadn't lost his salvation. He was still a Christian because we know it's only Christians can receive the Holy Spirit. It's only Christians that can go out and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring peace to the world. See, despite Peter's denial and failure, he was still a Christian who had the Holy Spirit living inside of him. But Peter was not able to serve God, as was God's plan. Why? Because he hadn't fully repented What a lesson and what a warning for those of us who are saved in the meeting this evening. You can be saved, yes. You can have the Holy Spirit inside of you, yes. But if you have unrepentant sin in your heart and in your life, then God can't use you the way that he wants to use you. In verses 18 and 19, it shows us what the future holds for Peter says, verily, verily, or truly, truly. This would have been a saying that would have been used. It's used, I think, 25 times throughout the Gospel of John. And Jesus, when he said verily, verily, he was going to display a concept that was going to be difficult for the hearer to understand. So he says, truly, truly, when you were young, you walked and did whatever you want. And then it tells us about Peter having to stretch out. It says, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whether thou wouldest not go. This is basically foretelling that Peter himself was going to be crucified. That's how he was going to die. And what does he say? What does Jesus say at the end of verse 19? He says, despite all that, follow me. His end was going to be crucifixion. And we know from the, the writings that are outside of the New Testament, from historical writings, that is exactly how Peter died. He was crucified. Follow me. Friends, that's it tonight. If you're saved, Jesus simply asks for us to follow him, to trust him. No matter what situation we're going through, no matter what's going on in our lives, follow me. Trust me. I'm there. I'm there in it all. Perhaps like Peter, maybe recently you've let the Lord down. Maybe you've done something, you've said something, You've acted in a way that's eating you up inside and you cannot get past it. Maybe tonight Jesus is asking for you to restore your relationship with him. Maybe it's something that you have been harboring for years and it's eating you away inside and you do your best to suppress it, to push it down, to push it away, but it keeps coming back and coming back. Tonight, Jesus is asking you to restore your relationship. Why? Because he can't take you where he wants you to go until you've restored that relationship with him. What is it that's holding you back? It struck me as I studied for the message tonight that Peter's problem was the same as many of us. Peter was proud. Peter thought he could never deny the Lord. He could never let him down. He thought he would always be there. Peter was proud. What about you? Too proud to admit you're a Savior? Too proud to admit you're a sinner? Too proud to admit that you need a Savior? Too proud to admit that your life isn't the bed of roses that you want everyone to think that it is? Too proud to admit that you've never truly been saved? See, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 1 says this. It says, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. That's solemn, solemn words. Tonight, God is giving you another chance to come to him tenderly, lovingly. He's calling you. Will you humble yourself, acknowledge you're a sinner in need of a savior? Declare your desire to die to self and live for Jesus. If you do that, he promises that he will save you, he will keep you, and he can use you in mighty ways for his eternal plans and purposes. Friend, if I can be of any assistance to you tonight, I'm here. Please feel free to talk to me. I'm more than happy to talk to you, to pray with you. Um, May God bless you. We're just going to close our service this evening by singing the words of hymn number 661. Search me, O God, and know my heart today.